Hello again, my name is Jay Rosario and welcome to Engage, a program that deals with relevant issues and challenges facing young adults in their Christian journey. Today we have a very interesting program and we want to encourage uh, those that are minor age, uh, young children, that uh, if, it, if parents uh, consider it unsuitable for them to be present because of the nature of our discussion, we encourage children to be absent from this uh, segment. Uh, joining us today we have my good friend Dan. How's it going Dan? Good Jay, thanks for having me. So Dan, uh, what, what exactly are we going to be talking about that's so sensitive today? Well today we're talking about the issue of pornography. It's an issue that we as Adventists, as Christians, have kind of pushed under the rug. We, we haven't really talked about it openly, which is what we're trying to do today because we, wanna, we want the Bible to speak for itself and the Bible says so much about it. So um, that's why we've also invited our, our good friend uh, Ariel here. Ariel Roldan. Roldan. Let's bring Ariel Roldan. Uh, thanks for coming back, Ariel. We My pleasure. That you're here. I'm so thanks, glad to Ariel. see you guys again. For those of you, for those that don't know who you are, Ariel, uh, just maybe you could say a few words about yourself. Uh, I'm currently pastoring in Michigan and also finishing my master's, uh, my MDiv at Andrews. I've been married for almost five years now and I have a beautiful eight-month-old little girl nice. that is learning to give daddy big wet kisses. Nice. So, so I'm loving it. So soon you're going to have uh, white hairs. No, no. Because of the wisdom and the experience of a no, father. No. I don't know, but I don't, maybe I'll have hair left, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind if it's white. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we're talking about pornography today. This is a sensitive issue for many people. Yes. And, uh, and I think some people are probably tempted to think that it's not a big issue. And, um, and I just want to read a couple statistics here just to start us off because I think they speak more than, you know, what we maybe have heard. 12% um, of all websites on the Internet, the entire Internet, 12% of those are dedicated just to pornography. Worldwide. Worldwide. Worldwide Internet. Worldwide Internet. 25% of all Internet searches are for porn. That's, that's one quarter of all. Everything that's, every time you do a Google search, you do four times, one of those wow. would be for porn. Wow. Um, 35% of all internet downloads, worldwide downloads, 35% of those are related to porn. 37%, mm. um, this isn't just an issue for, you know, that teens or secular people struggle with, 37% of all pastors wow. said that it was a struggle. Wow. And 51% um, of those pastors said it was a temptation. So this is a big thing, and it's not just something for, for that men struggle with. Six out of ten women struggle with this. Wow. That was surprising to me. I didn't 60%. know that. 60%. Yeah. 60% of women. Those are, those are pretty disturbing so, numbers. And the Bible says a lot about this. Maybe you could just uh, open us up, maybe recap a little bit of what we talked about in the last program and lead into, you know, why this is, um, you know, what the Bible says about this. Well, pornography needs to be placed within a context. Um, and basically, pornography is a, the sexual act being portrayed uh, visually via print or video nowadays in various forms, but the context is sex. And in order to discuss something like this, we need to go back to the Bible and allow the, allow the Bible to put the context of sex around it. And my favorite place to go to, as you guys learned from the last thing, is Genesis. Genesis. Hey, Genesis. Good memory. Chapter 2. <laughs> Genesis <laughs> chapter 2, uh, verse 7. Uh, for me, all of these discussions regarding sexuality, we need to go back to the original. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you have a very loaded passage, very powerful passage in verse 7. Uh, Jay, could you read it for us, please? Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Um, 
the, the creation of a man was not something that was, here's this part about man, and here's this part about man, and here's this part about man. Man as a whole was sexual because he created male and female. And as a male or as a female, they, we have components to ourselves that all are intermeshed. You, you cannot separate. And you have our mental aspects, our intellectual. We have our emotional. Um, we have our, our physical, which includes the sexual. Um, the act, sexual act itself is the most simplified way of saying it. And then, of course, we have the spiritual component uh, to who we are as a whole. And though we may separate the components, the reality is that all of me is all of those components at the same time, and I cannot separate one from the other. And pornography does exactly that. It tries to rip out the physical aspect and isolate it and present it as the whole. Like wow. this is the entire uh, sex uh, act, when in reality it's a ripoff, it's a knockoff, because it's actually 25% of what a human can experience sexually. So it's incomplete. Extremely incomplete wow. and extremely false. Um, as we get more into the program, um, I had to do some research to this and be careful. I mean, when you talk about pastors and things mm -hmm. like that, um, Paul says, if you think you're standing, watch out. Yeah. You might fall in. This is a trap that uh, I think many pastors, we need to tread lightly. So when I did research, I prayed a lot. I didn't want to you know, be going to places where I shouldn't. But um, some of the side effects that I would see, um, this one particular documentary done by the BBC, they're not focused on the industry itself, but focused on male actors. And one of the things that baffled me was most of these men in their early 20s um, are experiencing difficulties, um, experiencing arousal. And so they take things like Viagra at the ages of 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, um, even though it will harm their hearts in the long run. Mm -hmm. The money obviously is a driver for them. But during the interview, they spoke about how it is no longer pleasurable. The drive for it is the money, wow. not the sexual act. Mm -hmm. So for me, it just convinced me further that what the Bible was saying is true in that it is not only just an incomplete act, it is an act that will get impoverished and less and less pleasurable as it continues on. Just like we read in Psalm 16:11, the pleasures that God provides for us are everlasting. But in Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, we learn that the pleasures of sin are temporary. Now, Ariel, what if, uh, what if a viewer says, well, that's, that's fine, uh, Ariel, but you know, maybe somebody just simply watches it uh, maybe they say, well, after all, sex is something that, is, uh, that God has created mm -hmm. and it doesn't hurt to observe the mere act. Or is, is there a danger to observing and is it, is, are, do people generally just observe? I mean, what's, what's the problem with this? The problem is that, um, we, speaking pharmacologically, <laughs> uh, my background as a nurse, uh, yeah. it's a big word, it just means speaking about drugs. Okay, thank you. I, didn't have, I had no idea what you are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking about drugs, you have heroin, cocaine, and all these big, big guns. And then you have nicotine yeah. and marijuana. These are the gateway drugs, They're the bridges to that will get you those. Drugs. And so pornography is a gateway uh, entity into leading us into practice things like um, uh, self-abuse or um, self-pleasuring, which is also known as masturbation. Mm -hmm. um, the self-pleasuring act in itself is actually an even more impoverished uh, practice that leaves the person um, feeling less fulfilled than, um, than if they were not practicing it. 
Many people, uh, there's controversies, obviously, because science does research and does studies. And as I looked at uh, articles on different um, uh, medical journals, there is no clear definitive answer saying is harmful or is not harmful. Self-pleasuring is something harmful or not. But I began to look at the Word of God for answers. Mm. Um, someday the, the medical uh, world may agree or disagree, but it's irrelevant. I think the Word of God so far to me has proven to be pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. So the track record of the Word, I think, gives me confidence that some of the pr principles that we find here will give us some definite, definitive answers. I would like for us to turn to the Bible again, to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis again. <laughs> <laughs> Genesis is loaded with information. Um, and I, I'm going to kind of share a little bit of, of my journey. Mm -hmm. I did not just decide one day to decide, oh, I'm gonna, I like to have seminars on sex. I was a young man with questions. Mm. And coming from a Hispanic culture, my culture, like we discussed in our previous uh, program, was highly taboo and okay. there was no, no clear answers for questions. And one of the questions that I had dealt with verse 23. Um, Genesis chapter two, verse 23. Dan, could you read it for us? Sure. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Okay. Um, you, you have a, 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 the actual place where men and women become their own uh, sexual entity, a man and a woman. And Jay, could you read verse 24 for us? This sure. is the clincher. Verse 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. In that last part, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, what is one flesh? And my dad began to stutter and sweat and sweat and <laughs> Maria, <laughs> call my mom. <laughs> Your son has something to say to you <laughs> and leave. Right. Um, it's very uncomfortable. Sure. Um, and so he haunted me. Uh, I, I began to ask, you know, what is one flesh? What is one flesh? And this journey led me to second, uh, first Corinthians chapter six. We can keep our finger in Genesis chapter two and turn real quick to first Corinthians chapter six. Uh, I think that our viewers can hopefully also see that when you have questions about the Bible, if you don't have all the answers in one section, you'll probably find it in another That's section. Right. That's right. So the Bible answers itself. Um, mm. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, I'll, I'll read. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Hmm. Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now, Paul here is quoting what passage from the Bible? Genesis, Genesis, 2. Genesis 24. In the context of when God makes the declaration and the two shall become one flesh, what was that context in Genesis chapter 2? The relationship that Adam and Eve were going to have with each other. What was that context? Marriage. Husband and Marriage. Wife. Husband and wife. What is this context in which Paul is quoting the same passage? Mm. Adultery. Fornication. Yeah, exactly. Yet the same results. Interesting. So most people think, you know, when, I, when pastors would, would speak about this passage of the two shall become one flesh, and you know, weddings, you talk about this, he always put it in the context that this can only happen when you get married. But Paul quotes this in a, in a relationship, in a context, that there's no love, there's no emotional attachment, there's no emotional commitment, there's no commitment at all, except financial. Yet he says, the two shall become one flesh. 
So you're saying that there's a certain kind of bond that the uh, physical act of intimacy brings about whether you're married or not? That's right. There, there, there is laws that are placed within our bodies that uh, I think sometimes we do disservice to ourselves by not knowing these things. And this journey, again, like I told you, it wasn't just me looking for answers regarding sexuality. I was a massage therapist as well for many years. And uh, when we were in Loma Linda, Dr. Hershey, who, was, who would teach neuro neuroanatomy at the university, gave us a brief, very brief, short uh, lecture on the nervous system. But some of the things he said, the Lord began to put the pieces together for me. And then I read some more books. And then when I went into nursing school, the whole picture just came together for me. Mm. We have five channels through which our brain gets feedback or information from the outside world. Wow. We have our sight, our smell, our taste, our touch, and our hearing. Right. I'm going to ask you guys, and the viewers at home, they can also you know, have their wheels spinning with this question. Think of an activity in which you're going to use all five of those channels, all five of those highways into our brain at full blast, full strength, full throttle. Can you guys think of one activity that a human being could experience that would engage all five at the same time, full power? Skydiving. <laughs> That's the only one that goes what are you how is that? How do, how do you, are you, I guess you're tasting the air? Tasting the air. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Well, What are you touching there? <laughs> touching the wind. As you're going down. No. Skydiving, it, it will stimulate some, you know, roller coaster, you know. Right. You, but I'm asking all five. All five. There's only one. Intimacy. Yeah. Sexual intimacy. What is the largest organ in the body? It's the skin. And when a couple experience sexual intimacy, they're using the largest organ that they have, that God has given us, wow. because there's no clothing, obviously. Um, and you have touch. We have our own hormonal scent. You know, right. if they take your socks and my socks and they make a bloodhound smell it, and we go running into the woods, well, if they take only your socks and smell your socks, the dog will find you because you have your own scent. Actually, I think the dog will die. <laughs> but, Maybe. <laughs> um, but the point is this. We all have our scent. Right. We, we, in our society, in our Western society, we bathe, we have deodorants, and we mask it. Sure. But we can't pick it up when we're in the, in the intimate act. Our pheromones are kicking in our own special scent. Wow. Our bodies pick it up. Uh, we see each other naked. We hear things during you know, sure. the, the act that we don't typically hear on, on an everyday basis. And um, obviously, the, the five senses, like you said, Dan, are fully engaged, and it creates a mark in the brain. Our brains are not static. Decades ago, med medicine used to think that our brain was static. Now they know better. They know that our brains, even right now, on a day-to-day -day basis, structurally, physically, the, the structure of the brain is continually changing, is continually developing, not just from experiences, but even thought processes. Our thoughts can physically change the structure of our brain. And so if I partake of an activity with an individual that will engage all five senses at the same time, full throttle, will that leave a mark in my mind? Mm. So for me personally, that is how I reconciled the passage of, and the two shall become one flesh. Because I am married, yet my wife is in Burying Springs, but we are one flesh mm. here. Everything that she is, and like I said, this is looking at it holistically, not just through the physical. The way God wants this one flesh to take place is complete. 
that though we are apart, we are still one. When a, when a person would engage in the act of sexual, a sexual act with a pro prostitute, everything about the prostitute would become here and for that person as well. Just I don't know like, if you guys are following. Like fusion. Like yes, a, that's an emotional a good word. Fusion. Good word. F emotional, physical, spiritual. See, we can't separate. We can't separate the physical from the other ones. Once we engage this one, we've engaged them all because all are part of who we are. So if this is true, then it gets a little bit complex if one has more several partners, partners correct. that they're engaging in, in sexual intimacy correct. because they be, is it possible to become one flesh with more than one person? Um, well, this is a law that God put in us. And it was a blessing of a law, a physiological law, that when a man would marry a woman, that bond would take place and would last how long? In Genesis chapter 2, there was no death. It was supposed to last for eternity. Sin entered the world, but that law stayed with us. Um, so for, for me to partake of multiple partners, uh, I like to use this illustration of scotch tape. And I've done it in churches and other, other venues where I last for one young man and five young ladies. Because usually the guys are the ones that you know, the stereotype is the guys, the more promiscuous sure. ones. And I would use the tape as the guy's brain, as a, as a form of parable. And I would stick it to the lady's sweaters, and I would say they become one flesh and peel it off. And they go to the next lady, and they become one flesh and peel it off. And I would go through all five, and then I would ask the people, what has happened to the scotch tape? What has happened to its ability to stick? Hmm. And you have something interesting. You have the sexual revolution in this country during the 60s and the 70s, and then you have divorce skyrocketing. Promiscuity leads to an inability to commit. Wow. So for me, it just opened up a world of cause and effect. And I'm not saying that this is the all in all, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm certain that there, this plays a factor into what we have seen as a society that now more than half marriages are failing. And how many of those marriages are entering into it in that relationship with a clean piece of tape? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we've, you kind of showed us a little bit about what that does for someone who has multiple uh, sexual partners. Mm -hmm. But what about somebody who isn't, you know, active with other people, but, you know, maybe... The self-pleasuring. Self-pleasuring, yeah, that we've talked about. Well, this is where I think what we were talking about earlier, the, the medical data, the, the studies done, are not congruent. You have some that show something, others that don't. Um, but the Bible, if we take these concepts that we, we, yeah. we've already looked at, and they, they are physiologically real, mm. it does happen. If we were to apply it to the, the act of self-pleasuring, I would look at it like, um, are you guys familiar with Pavlov? No. Pavlov was um, a, a Russian phys a physicist and also a he wanted to study psychology as well. Um, and by accident, he was studying this, the, the salivary glands of dogs. And um, he noticed that uh, his assistants would come in and in the routine would rattle the cage, obviously, to bring the food to the dogs. Uh, but there were times that they would not bring food. They would simply come to observe the dog. But in the repetition of bringing, opening the gate, bringing food, opening the gate, bringing food, the dogs associated the rattling of the cage with the food. Mm -hmm. So when the, the, the assistants would come just rattling the cage, the dogs would salivate. And that, that became called as classical conditioning, where you are responding to a stimulus that is not related to food as if it was food. Okay. Mm -hmm. Self-pleasuring, um, Dr. Jorge Myers and his wife Nibia did a seminar on marriage, and they dealt with this topic in mm -hmm. Columbus, Ohio. 
several years ago. And they spoke about, um, not entirely what I'm talking about, but they gave me the foundation to understand how when you begin to self-pleasure yourself, you condition yourself to respond sexually to something that is not sex. Mm. Mm -hmm. Self-stimulation, pornography. Mm -hmm. um, four months ago, five months ago, I stumbled upon an article from the Saturday, Saturday Evening Post out of all places. It's, I know it's not a medical authoritative right. article, but it had a gentleman that was just a secular individual. Um, the article was, I no longer crave my girlfriend sexually. And the guy spoke about how he spooked himself because he began, as he called it, self-overdosing with, with pornography to the point where he no longer desired the real. Wow. He was more responsive to the fake, to the false. That's like me saying, I am so hungry, right. but I want these that are made out of rubber and wax. Sorry, viewers. <laughs> you thought these were real. <laughs> I'm craving these type of apples, sure. you know, that have no nutritional value for me. Right. That would be crazy for me to say that. Well, it's just as crazy for me to say, I desire more something in print or something on a screen than the real thing. Wow. And that is a conditioning that takes place. Obviously, the dogs did not salivate the first time around, but it got, they got to that point. Now, now Ariel, is, uh, is the results of, uh, as this article that you read, the overdosing of pornography, is it, does it only have sexual negative consequences? Or is it because you said that, you know, as a whole, we're spiritual, we're emotional, you know, it, it's, a, it's a whole being. Does pornography affect not only the sexual, but does it affect the other areas of our life? You cannot touch one without touching the others. You remember, the Bible says we are created in whose image? God's image. And when God created us, He said, let us make in our. God is social, and because He has made us in His image, we are also social. We crave human contact, right. especially at the level of intimate relationship. And for me, in my own personal convictions, pornography and self-pleasuring leads you, conditions you to withdraw from something that will reflect God's character by you experiencing something that is extremely intimate with yourself. And you prefer this isolating, self-pleasuring activity rather than the social interaction that, that God designed us to have. So for me, it's a, it's a direct attack on destroying the restoration of God's image in a human being's heart and mind. So it doesn't just affect your sexual uh, life, it, it affects your social spiritual life, life, your mental life, and your spiritual life. There, there's, I don't think, speaking from a Christian worldview, I don't think that there's any doubt that for someone that is practicing the, the act of uh, watching pornography and self-pleasuring, that they will find their spiritual life thriving mm. simultaneously. It cannot happen. Now, Ariel, let's get practical. Uh, there's a, maybe a viewer watching this program, recognizing that they need help. I and mean, in the last few minutes that we have, what, as a pastor, uh, what counsel, what uh, encouraging word can you give them for, number one, to in inspire them with the fact that uh, victory is possible? Mm -hmm. And number two, maybe what are one or two or three steps that they can undergo to actually experience transformation final, and total victory? If someone feels convicted and they realize it's a reasonable, intelligent reason why I should not be participating of this, they can recognize that as evidence that the deceptions of Satan are being lifted from their eyes. And they need to thank God that they're seeing this. Um, number two is they need to seek accountability. Mm. Um, pornography 
isolates. Yeah. It isolates the spouse. It isolates the pastor mm -hmm. in that context. It isolates the wife or the girlfriend um, with secrecy. So you need to confront that by the opposite, and, and you need to find someone that, that is trustworthy, that is spiritual, mm -hmm. and open up to them and say, listen, this is something that I'm struggling with. I don't want it in my life anymore. I need someone to be accountable to. I need you to ask me the hard questions on a day-to-day -day basis. You need to find someone that will hold you accountable to your decision to walk away from this. Um, something that, that I think helps as well, I, I learned this from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I, as a nursing student, I had to attend and observe and write a paper. And they would say this phrase, I stay sober by keeping others sober. Mm. The moment I stop helping other alcoholics stay sober, I'll drink. So as someone that is struggling with sin, you can help other individuals. It doesn't have to be the same struggle, but it can be leading people to Christ. When you're working for the salvation of others, guess whose salvation you're working for by default? Mm. Your own. Right. So it, I, because of lack of time, those would be the, the briefest answers that I could provide for you to, to answer those questions. Are there any uh, materials maybe that you'd recommend a, a viewer that's maybe interested in, in exploring this a little bit more? Uh, any particular place in Scripture, maybe a, a particular uh, resource that you would recommend that would be beneficial? There's not one verse, but one verse I think will provide a tool. Okay. Psalms 119 Psalms I think provides a tool, but it's not the all in all. Sure. Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hmm. So the discipline of memorizing scripture, I think, can be a powerful counteracting intentional act that can help purify my thought process because you've exposed yourself to these things. You've ingrained it through the practice. There's an opposite act that you can do, which is intentionally place God's word into your mind. But it's not magic. There's, there's faith involved. Sure. And I think there's also the accountability that, that also needs to be coupled with this. Sure. And it seems from this text that it, really the root is the mind. Yes. Uh, sometimes I think uh, we're tempted to just cut the, the fruit, but the root is really the issue right. and, and the mind. And of course, we're told that thoughts um, mixed with feelings uh, cultivate habits, and finally, habits uh, make up your moral character. So I think it's a lot about what you put into your mind. Mm -hmm. And I think if young people are struggling with this, maybe uh, they need to examine what kind of material they're putting into their mind, what kind of content they're putting into their mind, because that may be a little bit more uh, detrimental to the, to the work yes. of God. Now, Ariel, in the, la in the last few seconds that we have, uh, is there a final word or a final uh, message that you'd like to give to a young person who's struggling with this? I would actually like to appeal to the parents of the young person. Amen. I think parents need to take ownership and stop asking, expecting pastors or churches or schools to do the work that they should be doing in, in protecting. We did speak about, you know, ignorance versus innocence, mm -hmm. but there's also proactive measures that parents need to be, be aware that technology in two buttons, I, any kid can be connected with these things. So parents need to educate themselves and be intentional in their homes to provide a sanctuary of purity for their children. Wow, fascinating. Ariel, I cannot tell you how insightful this uh, Bible study has been. For me been. as well. And this is the tip of this, this, the iceberg. This is just scratching the surface. It is a lot more. Awesome. For those of you that have been joining us in our program today, we want to thank you for tuning in. We've been really blessed to have uh, this subject matter discussed and we just want to let everybody know that there is hope there is healing there is restoration and there are answers we want to encourage you to continue in the word of god god bless you until next time